Today on the Elevated Environments podcast, what's the best way to test your emergency luminaires? Wirelessly. And with IoT integration, of course. We speak to MagTech's Jason Chesley on today's episode. Greetings and welcome to the Elevated Environments podcast. I am your host, Phil Ruane. Thank you for being here. We missed a month, didn't we? Well, that can happen from time to time. It turns out there's been some very exciting developments at Environments, and plus a lot of work as well. We have launched the Elevated Environments app, this incredible tool featuring a lot of the technologies that we've been talking about over the last year. The app is all of the information you want about your space on a single dashboard. Plus, we can build a community section for coworkers to share with one another, a concierge for guests, and more. I can't wait to talk to you about that personally, and I think we'll be putting up another podcast uh, about this very topic pretty soon. But for today, I wanted to talk to you about emergency lighting. Wow, you're saying, emergency lighting? I think I've made my mind up about that a while ago. Well, hold on. These emergency lights are special because they're connected to one another wirelessly in a mesh network, and that allows for some very powerful testing capabilities. You see, as occupants in a building, we are happiest when we're not experiencing emergency lighting. If they are on, that's a good sign that we're in trouble. Yes, the soft glow of an exit sign is a handy way to show us the way out in case of an emergency. And for you planners out there, it can be good to take note of. But in general, the emergency lights are off until there's uh, a problem. But facilities engineers and property managers have to test these fixtures to make sure that they are ready to go out at a moment's notice. That means there are a lot of testing requirements. 90% of these exit lights and signages, uh, they're push-button tested, which means that the facilities manager takes a ladder and tests every fixture by hand once per month. Can you imagine doing that for a large, sprawling space, a multi-story building, an entire college campus, a sports stadium? It would get pretty tedious, right? How has IoT impacted the emergency lighting business? Well, pretty significantly with one company. With MagTech's Lynx EM solution, you tie all these fixtures together in a mesh network and schedule automated testing, which generates reports automatically. If there's a fixture that's not working according to the design, it highlights itself on a floor plan for further investigation. The whole testing process has been simplified substantially with MagTech. We wanted to interview Jason Chesley from MagTech Industries to learn more about the Lynx EM what it is and why it's such a valuable solution on the market. I have with me today, Jason Chesley. He's our regional sales for the East Coast for MagTech. Jason, how are you? Hello, thank you for having me on. I am doing well. Good, it is my pleasure to have you on. You've got something very interesting to talk about. Let's start this way. Tell me a little bit about your company, MagTech. MagTech uh, was formed back in the 80s. They were um, a power supply company 
back in the day, and then that moved into LED drivers in the mid 2000s when uh, LEDs were still uh, like a, a um, you know like an entertainment thing. Uh, and then when they became viable for lighting, right around 2008, 2009, they became, uh, MagTech became a major player for uh, LED lighting drivers, uh, probably maybe number four on the list. Okay. Around 2012, IoT took, uh, started entering the lighting world with all the controls and whatnot. So MagTech opened up a little side division, still the same company called Linksys to explore that field. And one of the products that came out is the one we'll be talking about today. The subject of emergency lighting is really important, but so many times during the specification phase, it's often overlooked. Um, emergency exit is an egress lighting basically stays on 24 seven or for when there's an emergency to highlight the path of egress. It's really, really important but a lot of times engineers just specify what, you know, what they know. So just go ahead and tell the audience why it's important to look at your emergency lighting spec. Well, it is an area that most of us ignore. And it's because we're in areas, uh, especially working from home, we'll never see the uh, AHJ or a fire marshal pop in. Um, and with that, you know, we've never been in, most of us have never been in a full-scale structural fire running for the exit of a building. So we don't get that firsthand experience of thinking about it uh, all day long. Um, like the worst I've ever experienced was a power outage, you know, having to find the front door with a small amount of light. And you know, most of the emergency lights weren't working in that particular building because we never saw the AHJ. But under OSHA's 1910 regulations, a building uh, must have the emergency lighting system in order to be considered safe and code compliant. So um, there's similar language that we see written into most of the local and state codes along with uh, insurance company policies. Uh, what's interesting being in this field is seeing how dark some enclosed locations can get. So like stairwells, uh, especially the high rises and hotels, uh, tunnels and theaters within entertainment facilities, uh, office areas toward the center of the building that have no direct windows for that natural light, um, bathrooms, maintenance closets, etc. Uh, I've even seen some uh, refrigeration uh, transportation companies that uh, they just have no outer windows you know they're trying to keep that um, climate controlled and you know they go pitch black so there's you know there's good reason of course for the codes make sure everybody has a chance to um, hit that exit in the event of a situation where the power has has gone out uh, the faster the people are able to see the exits the sooner they're able to evacuate and it's important to give people that chance to evacuate the building before they inhale too much smoke and the fire spreads. So people need to know where to go. Um, many times the building's occupants are not 100% familiar with the layout. Even if you work there, you don't think about the rest of the building, right? You just, right. your cube, maybe the, the break room, the bathrooms and, and whatnot, especially if you get into multi-company buildings, 
uh, or if you're visiting like theme parks or if you're just staying a few nights at a hotel and you kind of get panicked in darkness. Yeah. And then we have this, uh, the after, um, the aftermath, which is our first responders arriving at the scene. Many of them, you know, they have, you know, pretty high tech gear. They got, they got lights mounted on their gear. And, uh, however, having working emergency lighting provides that extra light so they can do their jobs more uh, effectively, which may include search and rescue. So it's written into the code. Um, the design engineers that uh, are responsible for stamping those drawings need to make sure that uh, all that's in good working order so they can go and take care of the retrofit or that new construction. Right. Okay. So all of these fixtures that go in, they have to have, they have to be able to be tested. Why is testing these fixtures so important and how often are you supposed to be testing them? And, can you describe the process for a facilities engineer of testing each of these fixtures? What is that like in that person's day? Yeah, usually that falls under a professional facility manager's shoulders. That's usually who has it, especially in the areas where we focus uh, um, our attention to. They have a, uh, a professional crew because there's so much work behind the you know just maintaining the facilities in general so under uh section 793 i believe of the life safety code it speaks to the nfpa's requirements for testing these emergency lights and in there you'll see there's three categories there's the traditional that uh have been around for decades and decades and decades and then we came up with a more convenient uh self-test self-diagnostic version and not too long ago they added the computer-based self-testing self-diagnostic and in that code it requires a, a monthly test where the lights are illuminated for about 30 seconds and then there's an annual test where they're activated for um an hour and a half to simulate an actual emergency event. Uh, the written records of those monthly and annual tests are to be maintained for inspection by the AHJ or fire marshal. Uh, the computer-based emergency lighting systems need to be capable of generating a self-report um, at all times. So generally held on to for about maybe two years. But again, that all falls on the facility manager's shoulders. I haven't seen a location where it, where it was somebody else's responsibility, you know, a large scale operation. Uh, and, you know, that position over the years has actually become a major part of an organization. You know, people don't think about it because that's not customer interfacing. It's not like the CFO or accounting or general operations. You know, it is. Yeah. It's what keeps the house working. Right. Well, particularly the manual testing of all of these devices sounds like it could be very, very tedious and time consuming. And it sounds like perhaps things like this could fall by the wayside pretty easily. So let me ask you, if facility manager's office doesn't regularly test the egress or exit lights, do they have any liability if there is an emergency and some of these lights don't come on or things like that? First, let me say, 
yeah, it's a pain in the butt. When you you when you get a decent size facility, I don't know. Let's just take a, a small size university. You know, imagine once a month having to go around to each and every single one of those fixtures and make sure they're in working order and they're operating mm-hmm. correctly in the event of an emergency. So that's two different things. One, you know, one, it's working, and two, it's operating in the event the power goes out. That's a lot of time. Some of these, yeah. some of these facilities have, you know, many hundreds, if not several thousand, and and that's just a a mid-size, say, university or a decent-sized resort uh, or or hotel uh, facility or a casino. Uh, it takes a lot of time, and now there's the secret um, elephant in the room that no one really talks about, which is some egress lighting is actually too far away to test. And yeah, like uh, mid bays, high bays, you know, things that are just, too, they're, they're too far away. So wow, people, I hadn't thought about that. People just assume it, but you know, so I'm not a lawyer, I'm not an insurance adjuster, but as I see it, you know, you, you have some potential invested parties. The insurance company may want proof that the building was in good order in the event there was a situation. The fire inspector may want the same. And if there's an injury and it goes to lawsuit, I, I'm assuming the opposing counsel want proof of due diligence as well. I don't know. I haven't been involved in that stuff. Those are just my my assumptions of who might get really interested in your reports in the event of a very bad day. Uh, so who's going to go and look for the past reports on inspections, you know, and what if those reports were destroyed in the fire <laughs> and then you don't have that. And, uh, but, uh, you know, what if those reports could be stored remotely on the cloud? And then that's where that option three comes in really nice. When the computer-based systems are utilized, it's those reports are safeguarded onto a cloud. Mm-hmm. I don't talk too much about the liability side. Uh, I think it really plays toward the fear card. And you know, what I know is that facility management has an obligation to do the testing and by and large, they do the very best they can to make sure everything's working and they do those tests. And, and we offer them a solution that allows them to do that more efficiently and store their records, um, the records of their activity in a safe location. It's a, it's a really nice option to have. It's like going from a manual stick in your car to an automatic. You know, it's it just makes driving easier. Sure. It sounds like that's a good tie-in to an overview of your Lynx EM system. So how, how does the system solve the problem of testing in, in a big space? So the Lynx EM is a low-power mesh network meaning all devices are talking to all devices within range, uh, like a spider's web. 128-bit AES encrypted ZigBee 16 channel hop, 2.4 gig self-contained wireless emergency exit and egress lighting system, right? So it automatically performs the monthly and the annual testing that would be programmed upon commissioning according to the maintenance manager's ideal Time frame. So let's say they say like the 28th of every month, you know, at say 2 a.m. on us, you know, uh, so it doesn't bother anybody. Or if you're in a hospital setting, it might bother people. So then they'll you know, bring it closer to uh, uh, maybe 2 p.m. or something, whatever fits their particular needs. Right. Um, 
it's a total solution. So it's not just like we're offering say maybe just software or something it's it's the exit signs it's the emergency lights the drivers the the gateway your router uh, it's the controlling app um, and it stores these reports and it sends email pushes notifying the you know the maintenance manager or whoever's assigned uh, you know what's passing and which items need attention and where those items are located so they can just go right to the issue as soon as they come back on shift well, that sounds a lot easier than manually testing each one of these fixtures for sure. Common question I've received about this system, when I show it to some folks, they say, well, that's all well and good, but what happens if the network goes down? So if there's a network failure in the building, is this going to affect the wireless exit signs? Right. Uh, and it's a good question. And on its surface, it kind of makes you think like, well, you know, does the system freeze up or something? It doesn't know what to do because it's not talking. Uh, so at the end of the day, it's still an emergency system. So it's still on backup batteries. So power out equals lights on, right? And uh, so network or no, the system, the system's still functioning its intended purpose, which is to provide light when the power goes out and it allows people to get to safety. Uh, in some cases on that note, like in, like in amusement parks, which was really interesting learning curve for me when I came into this whole thing, is in amusement parks, these need to pop on even when there's no power loss, but someone's pulled the fire alarm. So that was an interesting quirk in getting these th this product out there. Um, and this is due to people being in places where it's designed to be dark, such as like ride tunnels. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. So like Disneyland and Six Flags and other entertainment facilities, that's, that's written into their requirements when it comes to this stuff. We had to come up with a solution to that the first time we came across it. It was, uh, it was a little complex at first until we were able to sit down and and chew on it but it was a solid solution anyway so yeah when the network goes down it still operates now what's not going to work is your automatic monthly testing and annual testing until the network comes back on sure but <laughs> but that testing has been preparing itself for this moment so at, at that point all that's important is the lights come on and uh the path of egress is illuminated right right and, and on that note too uh because this was a major concern with the university we had in upstate New York recently was, well, in that event, what happens to all the commissioning that we did? Mm -hmm. Because what we're doing is we're, you know, when we commission these things, we get all the devices to talk to everything and sync up and we put in the scheduling and we save the reporting and and the whole nine yards. And of course we show the maintenance uh, person in charge how to adjust the system if their needs change in the future. But uh, you know, the, there was a really good question, which is, is all of that information lost? Like what if we have to replace the router due to vandalism or, or some natural event or theft or something of that nature, right? And uh, so that information, whatever was last plugged in for the commissioning is saved. So when it comes back online or parts, pieces, parts are replaced, the last commissioning structure is saved. So that's all still there as well. Very good. So in our demo case, we got a 
tablet that comes with uh, three different luminaires that allow for a quick test on functionality. I noticed that there were some other tabs that we don't really have access to, but what else can you do with this powerful little uh, user interface? I like the tablet because of its screen size. It's convenient mm-hmm. with me and I'm always moving around. But what we have found by and large is that the IT departments are tossing the tablet and tying it directly into their network and they're running the app through their computers. I, we did not expect that to happen, but it did. And that's what makes them happy. And it, you know, it works just fine that way. So that said, the app is a, uni- uh, a user interface, which is used for the initial commissioning, real-time access to the system, obtaining device status like uh, battery capacity, load, test schedules, um, creating and storing test schedules, and access to download uh, current and legacy test reports. It's not a f- fun little game to play with you know you it's more of a diagnostic tool like something you might hook up to your car it just kind of tells you what's going on and maybe where you need to look for an issue Uh, but it lets you see everything which is interesting like if you want to go look at say your exit sign or your bug light on elevator two in the north wing and you want to see what's going on with it right here right now you can look at it, <coughs> which is kind of cool, you know. Very we, cool. Yeah, and like in, in the inverse on that is, you know, if you get an alert that says, hey, you know, you have these three issues in your hotel or in your uh, your facility when you wake up and you look at your email push, right, it will tell you it's these three units and this is what they are and where they're located. And you can either look on your map because we, we, we download everybody's facility maps and we put these little icons all over that you can move around at will. And, yep. uh, or you can just dig in on that system itself and, and get a little more information. But, you know, it kind of tells you like, okay, this is these are the tools and the, the replacement parts I need to take with me and where I'm going. I don't have to walk the whole campus and see if everything's still working. Yeah, and that part in particular sounds like a facilities engineer, a facility engineer's dream. So, how long have we been using an IoT integration approach to to test? Are you the only one of its kind? And what types of projects are going to see the highest return on investment for this particular system? I feel it's been an exceedingly useful tool for the locations where the AHJs and fire marshals are focusing their efforts, which is K through 12 schools, universities, hospitals, uh, retail businesses on the larger side, factories, hotels, casinos, very large commercial office buildings. And it's because these two entities, the fire marshals and AHJ, they view these as the highest risk for uh, human life loss. Hmm. No, they're not going to come into the little onesie twosie, you know, uh, small, like um, condo type uh, attorney offices and stuff like that very often. In fact, our headquarters in Las Vegas, Nevada, just got its first inspection, I think in like six years. So the AHJs and fire marshals are really focusing on, you know, where where people are at highest risk and, you know, that that's come down to 
those those areas I just mentioned. Um, real life interest has been with the universities and the hospitals. Yes, we got uh, um, some casinos under our belt, which includes the hotel and some uh, some office areas and whatnot. But ninety percent of all of the the projects to date have been universities and hospitals. Uh, they have the need and they have the money. Yeah, so that works. Uh, right. On to your other part for how long has it been around? The computerized options. There's three currently certified for use. Last I looked, which wasn't that long ago, uh, which is the one we're offering. And as far as I can tell, uh, the pricing is, you know, they're all roughly in the same ballpark area. And the ROIs on these installations, from what I've seen so far, are roughly around 14 months. And how the ROI comes into is quantified is you're looking at how much time are we saving the maintenance personnel each month? Yep. Best case scenario, right? Like, you know. Just assuming they're able to go through that job, how much time are we saving them there, along with the cost differential between going back to your old school stuff versus one of these three advanced versions? Yeah, and if you really wanted to accelerate that payback period, you could factor in the small chance that you might be creating a liability nightmare if uh, (laughs) there isn't compliance with the testing thing. In, as true as that is, and it really is true, okay, for some people more than others. Right. Um, I've, just, I've just been very fortunate to never be in that position. Sure. We, so it's hard for me to speak to that, yeah. you know. Um, well, we don't have but, to talk about it, but it, there's always <laughs> a terrible, um, there's always a chance that something like that might happen. So uh, it's something we, we've got to consider. So, hey, this is really great, and I love that we're using – IOT technology to invigorate a, you know, a, a, a part of the lighting business that sometimes we don't think about anymore. It just becomes automatic to so many people. And so thank you for doing what you're doing. This is a really interesting product. Do you have anything else you want to share with our audience? I believe that it is a really nice fit as we watch, um, you know, I'm Gen X. So as we watch the next couple of generations come in and take over the IT department and the maintenance facilities, they're expecting all of this stuff to be automated. Hmm. So they're expecting something like MagTech's system to be in there. And when they see that there's an option and it hasn't been taken on, you know, they're, they're kind of a little little let down so they already have in you know if they're in charge they already have in full lighting controls right they expect the ability to go on their computer and control their building (laughs) you're right about that so and when they can't do that they're going to look for those solutions as soon as the budget allows or the next retrofit comes through the facility they're going to say okay you know let's let's bring this up to the year 2020 please instead of you know this other stuff's been around since way before they were born so uh, that's been that's been very refreshing they think differently than we do they expect things to be 
on the cutting edge of technology, if at all possible. And this is that last step for the whole lighting arena because everything else is already on full automation and under full control from top to bottom. Everything from their landscaping to their outside lighting, their street lighting, their inside lighting. And this is this is that one piece that was ignored until just maybe the past five, six, eight years, something like that. I would like to thank you again, Jason, for coming onto the show and sharing a little bit about your technology and your creative IoT solution for emergency lighting. And I uh, wish you the best, and um, hopefully you'll be uh, traveling with us very soon. Yes, we will be connecting soon, and uh, it, was, it was good to see you again. Good to see you too. Everybody, Jason Chesley from MagTech Industries. Have a great day. Bye. Now, I love IoT solutions like these because it's breathing new life into old product categories, and it's creating opportunities to simplify onerous testing requirements. MagTech's Lynx EM is the perfect fit for large projects where constant manual testing is going to be an expensive issue. And because they are wireless, they are ready for new construction and retrofits alike. We've got the case, and we'd love to schedule a demo with you. It's a great, satisfying feeling to set your parameters for that test on the tablet, press the button, and run a report. The same can be said about much of the IoT technology that we talk about here, and the fact that you are working with people who know how to tie this stuff together is really important. Remember, there's a lot of people out there who have made the claim that these open API devices can speak to one another, but we at Environments have put in the work to make these devices actually do the talking with one another. If you'd like to see what that looks like, again, I'd urge you to schedule a demo with us for the app as well. Now you can reach out to me directly at philip at environments.tech, and you can also check out our website landing page for the app at www.environments.tech slash elevated environments. And that's all one word, of course. You have to check it out. We made a great video on it. It really looks great. And my question to you is, would this offering work for your business? Would it work for your client's business? Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. Well, I hate to leave you, but I promise it won't be so long before we speak again. I am your host, Phil Ruane, at the Elevated Environments Podcast, signing out.